Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Andrea Cleary. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that's important to know when we're young. Sarah is off doing her other job as an acclaimed YA author, so Andrea Cleary of Nine or Nine Podcast has very kindly stepped in. Oh, thank you. Welcome yes. to the show again. <laughs> Um, yeah, last time I was here we cried. So Yeah, it was very warm and we cried. Yes. So and it's already very warm, so we'll see what happens today. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Our guest today is the host of the Hot Mess Clubhouse podcast and the author of several books, including Are We There Yet, her newest book, Exclusive Bye. Welcome Hello. to the show. Welcome. Hi. You? Thank you for having me. Hello. <laughs> it is very exciting to talk to you. because uh, you want to talk about something very exciting. What are you gonna to talk to us about? I am here to talk about Star Trek, the original series. Yes, excellent. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm trying to contain myself. <laughs> so, okay, okay, where should we start? I think, do we need to explain what Star Trek is? I don't think so. Probably not. Probably not. Everybody knows. Oh. It's Kirk. It's Kirk. everybody knows. It's McCoy. Maybe we should say which, which Star Trek this is. Yes, okay, so tell us which Star Trek you want to talk about. So, why. the original series... Um, is so it's a sci-fi series set in um, the 23rd century i believe i think it's about 202065 um the uss enterprise and her crew are exploring the galaxy representing the united federation of planets and boning aliens whenever they can <laughs> um you've got uh captain james t kirk iconic james t kirk um, and he is generally accompanied everywhere by his first officer mr spock and his uh, grumpy racist doctor dr mccoy um or bones and why does he call him bones does anyone know <laughs> i don't know because he his bones i guess yeah I, I was getting really confused that, as to who bones it was that on the nose well yeah <laughs> i mean it's the 60s yeah um, yeah, but they're the main three. But then there's also the bridge crew, uh, which also includes uh, Lieutenant or Lieutenant Uhura, Sulu on the helm, and then later on Chekhov too. Um, so it, it's that's the core. I don't think I'm missing anybody there, am I really? Did we no. mention Scotty? We, we mentioned Scotty. Oh, yeah. Okay. Scotty, yeah. of course. Yeah. He has become very important to me over watching watching <laughs> the series. I think he's my favourite now. He's just yeah, so and I, I'm really upset that I've just only just found out that he wasn't really Scottish. I know. I mean, I, I had a feeling. Into that accent. <laughs> he has to keep his mouth closed so tightly to do a Scottish accent. That's kind of a giveaway. <laughs> when so, when did you first come to Star Trek: The Original Series? Um, so I've been trying to pin this down all week because I, I think I probably came to the next generation first because that was more my era um, and it was on every day at, at, at 6 p.m. or whatever um, and then that was like my gateway drug to the original series um, I know I used to watch it with my dad and it was definitely a kind of quality time bonding thing because no one else in my family liked it of course um, but that made me love it even more I had this really big family and I'm the youngest of five so I think I was quite prone to deliberately trying to choose things that would make me different from them and give me some kind of personality. Um, <laughs> I was quite keen to, I don't know, make my own name by being like the biggest weirdo possible. possible. And I, I remember practicing the Vulcan salute for hours and literally nobody gave a shit when I finally mastered it. <laughs> so it was definitely something that I thought um, made me a bit special, I think, that I liked something kind of weird and old and um, really uh, sexist. <laughs> And then I and then I got really um, even more into it when um, when I was um, twenty one when I started my first job in a magazine, 
Um, so Paramount, I think, was celebrating some kind of anniversary that year. And I think it must have been 20 years since Next Gen or something like that. And they were doing loads of promo around the franchise. Um, and one of my bosses at this magazine found out I was a Trekkie. And so then they, they sort of weirdly made me their um, official Star Trek girl. And I got bombarded with stuff from Paramount. And it was amazing. That's so I ever and like t-shirts and pens and stuff and I got to go and interview George Takei who is an absolute hero and was so lovely and oh like my God. Me, hey, tell us about yeah, that. I know. and he sent me a thank you note afterwards which I still got and is amazing um, and I also went to a dinner with Data, Brent Spider um, it was an amazing time I'd say childhood <laughs> you is just like thank you for all of the decisions that <laughs> yeah. led me to this moment Did you? Like, how many times did you cry during dinner with Data? That's... Oh my god! I, I I was more of a giggler. It was it was really okay. embarrassing. Basically. And then then at the end, I went up and I said, "Could I have his autograph?" And he wrote me a note that said, "Like it's been nice looking at you." Oh, oh. hello. <laughs> like, Data, come on, you're not supposed to have feelings. <laughs> Yeah, so that was amazing. And I also did go to a Star Trek convention once and I was pretending that I was going, you know, to pitch it as an article, but really I just wanted to go. Um, and that was really interesting and weird. What Patrick is a Stewart Star Trek there. convention like? Because I think people who haven't been to one, I certainly have an idea of what it is in no. my head. Yeah. Is I it tried that? to go to one once and I couldn't find a room in the hotel. And I, was, I was like 11, so I just got... Had wow. an introvert panic attack and left and bought the Star Trek magazine instead of went right Oh no! So, That's so sweet. Yeah. Oh no, you missed out on so much, so many costumes. <laughs> okay, tell us all about it. So, like, what was it? Where was it? Was well, it a big one. It, as far as I know, it must have been about 10 years ago now, but um, yeah, it was in a in a big hotel and I, I think it took over the whole place and there was just so many costumes um, everywhere. Well, Patrick Stewart was there, so it must have been a big one because he wouldn't be there. Oh yeah, they wrote him out for any old mention, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and the Gorn was there, if that means anything to you. It me. absolutely does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel so sad because it, I have pictures of none of this. I don't know why I didn't take any pictures. I was pretending to be, like, above it all, I think, and I was kind of, like, going around being like, I'm a journalist. I'm Very really serious here journalist. I'm here for research purposes. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, I'm getting loads of fan shots. I was just pretending to be cool. Yeah, because you're as excited as everybody. You don't want to be one of those fans. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to exactly. do a Star Wars convention. In like 2010, we used to decide to go to one. It was like a fan one in Cork, and my friends were like getting their pictures taken with the Princess Leia and stuff. And I was like, I'm not gonna do that. Wow. Yeah, I'm too cool uh, for that. I, I love oh, it, but I love it in a more mature I'll stand with a way. Friend, I'm gonna stand with a bikini woman. Yeah, well, I mean, that has its own sort of. I mean, yeah, yeah. maybe we could talk about the sort of the women in Star Trek, the original series, yeah, and so, how weird yeah. it is how. There's so many like strong women on the Enterprise, and then once you step off and you go into the world, it can just get a little bit iffy from time to time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know because um, they make such an effort. They're trying so hard with race, but mm. it's just so incredibly sexist. <laughs> <laughs> They continually undermine their um, equality for all message by just being like, oh, yeah, um, the women are going to leave the service as soon as they can find themselves a husband. Yeah. <laughs> it's really offensive at times. But I do think I have so much um, respect for what they were trying to do. And I, it's hard to imagine because it was made in the late 60s in America where things were really, really 
tough and bad and the attentions were really high and they had an african-american woman on the bridge crew an asian-american and a russian in the mix mm. which is amazing if you think about it during the, the context of of the 60s i mean they also had a, a green-blooded balkan on there but they're pretty racist to him so i don't know if that counts and they also had like a lot of um a lot of secondary actors were like uh, black men as well like mm. who had like yeah. Who weren't well, like just they were members of the crew. They weren't like it wasn't called out. It was like kind of colorblind casting. Mm. It feels like for yeah. a lot of the um, all the rest of the crew members, which is something I think it does a lot better than Next Generation. Yeah. Because in the original series, you get a lot more of a sense of what the rest of the crew are like. The rest of the ship, they tend to have much more developed characters now that are introduced, even though they yeah. tend to die. But you do get a sense of before <laughs> they die, which yeah. I think is something that it does a lot better. Yeah, but they but they don't do well with women in the original no, series, they do um, not. Yeah. and, and it, it is so exaggerated and ridiculous that I, I find it very amusing personally when they're almost sort of slapping the bums of women as they leave the bridge and stuff like like that. It's just it's just laughably um, sexist. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I really respect, I know everybody sort of hates Gene Roddenberry these days. <laughs> he gets a lot of shit, but he really was trying, I think. I think he was just, um, I mean, he was having affairs with half of them, wasn't he? Half the a- actors <laughs> on the set. Um, yeah. So I think he was just a bit like intersex and like just Oh yeah, a like, bit, I, Star a Trek's, yeah, yeah. Like, I think Star Trek's blind spot is Gene Roddenberry. Roddenberry's blind spot specifically that anything that he wasn't aware of just wasn't going to make it in like the, I saw a screenshot the other day it wasn't one of the episodes that we specifically covered for this one but of just Captain Kirk getting a massage on the bridge from one of the yeomen oh god and he was just like <laughs> rubbing out some knots in his back yeah. and like, it, he's it, very stressed he, it's he's a very he's got a lot yeah. on you know he's carrying yeah, that whole just- ship in the first series there is yeoman Janice Rand who is basically yeah. his personal um personal sex slave I don't know really what she's meant to be I don't understand she brings him drinks and food and occasionally an evil version of Kirk will try and get off with her or something like that but um, I mean I think from what I've read like she the reason she left after that season was because she actually was sexually harassed on set by an so I mean it's really hard to know like where the lines (laughs) were in all that anyway yeah dark (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it is, it's a dark time. Yeah. <laughs> and yet so well, colourful. With the race stuff. They yeah. did. Like, yeah, even, so many primary colours and such a colourful space and colourful programme to look at physically. Yeah. Like, it's so, I read that um, they were, they used all of, like, the brightest colours that they possibly could because they wanted to sell more colour televisions. Oh, yeah, I think and that's I actually a that big is. part of why it was so successful because, like, there were, like, space shows before Star Trek, mm. but it was the first probably post-colour big one. Yeah. Like, all the black and white still get shown anymore, but because, the same thing for Monty Python as well, that there was, like, weird sketches before Monty Python, mm. but it was first one in colours, so that's why it's the one that gets repeated and influential, yeah. but I think that's a big part of Star Trek is just how strong it is visually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I didn't know that. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I found that like once once I sort of handed myself over to, you know, the really kind of primitive sets and somebody falling over a little bit and knocking down a wall behind them or it's like you can almost see the boom in some of the shots. And but oh, no. once I sort of just entered the world, I was like, no, this is fine. This is where we live now because yeah. it's science fiction and you like if you're like, oh, well, that spaceship doesn't look realistic. You kind of have to question if you're watching the right sort of show, <laughs> you know? 
but to, for me i like the cheap cheap stuff the me best too. i like the um the stupider the better and the cheaper the sets the better i actually don't I, I never really got into the film versions of star trek because it's all just a bit too glossy for me mm-hmm. it all becomes a bit more high budget and a bit cooler and i don't like that i like it to be really camp and sticky and and i one of my favorite episodes is the galileo seven i know we're going to talk about episodes but but the main reason i like that episode so much is because it's so plastic like they go mm. on to a, um, a planet but it's just full of plastic rocks and people are throwing plastic spears and that are bouncing off the foam rocks and so it's so funny <laughs> and yet it still gets across this idea of peril of danger you're still very worried about these characters and you're like if they fall over they're basically falling over on foam they'll be fine but for some reason you're so worried about them that's because like the magic of star trek is that it is about 12 foot men in line pots throwing foam spears at people but it's also that so it's also about like the limits of like spock's way of thinking in as a way of leading people and making decisions and it's really in the yeah. character, character study of like Spock and the limits of Spock as a, a leader, which is like, how are they doing both those things at the same time? I know. It's I so know. good. Like they're, good. they're simultaneously having a, an episode about little cute teddy bears and also making some pretty like important thing, like points on the human condition <laughs> and what it yeah, means to oh explore. And I, don't, I don't think there's any show that does the moralizing and the silliness like in such a combination. Yeah, it, it, it is 50 50. And so moral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, should, oh, should we dip into some of the, the episodes you chose? So I think, because they are, I think it's a pretty good mix of the, of everything the Star Trek does, I think, between what you, yeah. you picked. So what should we start with? Um, well, if we're going to do it chronologically, because mm. season season one is is by far the best season. Um, season three is is absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of good episodes in that, but you could just tell that they've lost the will to live and probably don't have any budget left. But season one is is amazing, and I love it. So. Um, it, and the enemy within is one of my favorites um season one episode five so it's about a transporter accident which somehow splits up your evil atoms from your good atoms uh, as it would uh, to, to create two people so captain kirk um gets split into two people and evil kirk then like runs rampage around the ship trying to rape yeoman Janice or whatever and ultimately though the lesson is that we need some badness and we have to accept the bad uh, and it's 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 so camp and um the evil twins thing which is a thing by the way that they do like 25 times a season and I never <laughs> get um it's so funny and you can just the evil Kirk is clearly evil because he wears eyeliner and then Where did you find the eyeliner? it was like it must be part of the transformer accent transformer accent I, I love the idea of the evil atoms splitting off and then just being like, okay, I'm going to go wreak havoc, but first, my eyeliner. First, I have first, to look the part. Yeah. So everyone knows that I am evil with my eyeliner. The acting is just really atrocious as well. It's so brilliant and over the top. And William Shatner is never better than when he's being really over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's also a really cute dog in a stupid costume in this episode that that is just in it throughout the whole thing and is so cute and that's also the reason I love this episode so much. <laughs> it is ridiculous. It's I laughed so hard every time it appeared on screen and one of the main characters yeah. was like delivering an important speech about transport 
like transporter accidents and personal yeah. morality and duality and stuff while holding this little mongrel <laughs> in a costume. <laughs> on it. It's a, it was a very good dog. It was very docile. It was just sat in everybody's arms, just just going with it. It knew it was heading for immortality, so it was good. It's like, I think it's, um, what was I going to say? William Shatner gets a bit of undeserved stick for how he acts Captain Kirk. I think from watching um, a spread of episodes for this... his uh, intonation there, Alan. That was a bit... <laughs> <laughs> That's, what about. That's more of a season three Captain Kirk. His season one Captain Kirk is much better. He's, yeah, he definitely is, isn't he? He's like a, like a cheerier kind of guy and yeah. more conversational, uh, where it's, it's much more pronouncements. Spock, you know, mm, once he gets yeah. a little bit further. But, like, the, but then he does do his evil version where he's just screaming and sweating. I found him very charming and very endearing throughout all of yeah. these episodes. Yeah, he is a very handsome man. You just actually. can't yeah. help but be like, I'm surprised oh, much okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like with everything we know about the world and men, it's like, oh, you still, you like no, no one is safe from Kirk, you know? Yeah. He's just such a handsome man. <laughs> and they show us that by showing us close-ups of women just staring at Kirk sometimes. Yeah. It was quite yeah. a woman just staring at him silently. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the black mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I joke about um, like them all just trying to bone aliens all the time, but actually the first season, um, Kirk really doesn't do that much sort of sex pesting. He's um, he's actually quite dismissive of women, like, and they all come in and they all fancy him, and he's just like, oh, oh, another woman, get out of my way, sort of thing. <laughs> and it is only later that he he starts to have sex with every uh, woman in, in like the the series three when they get really bored and just get him to get off with everybody. But in this one, I mean. It's it's kind of interesting as well. I mean, in the in the context of hashtag Me Too, the dynamic when he does kind of um, evil Kirk does try to come on to Yeoman Janice, um, and she feels like she can't complain because her boss is sexually harassing her, mm. and she keeps sort of talking about how oh, but he's the captain. I couldn't say no. Anyway, just um, so many layers. <laughs> but it's I mean, that's, how, that's, sorry, that's the 60s. Like, they're doing that in the 60s. Yeah. And it's not it's not Kirk doing it. It's evil Kirk doing it. So there is there is still some kind of level of responsibility. Yeah, and the fact there. that the crew actually, like, oh. like believe her and step yeah. in and go, well, no, this is, this is fucked up. Something, something's gone wrong here. Mm. Actually, yeah. it's... It doesn't happen now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. So. I mean, it's slightly undermined right at the end when, like, Spock has a little joke with her and says, uh, like, almost implies that she must have fancied the evil rapist Kirk who was trying to, to get her. Like, yeah. there's a little bit of a wink, wink, nod, nod. You must have quite liked that. Oh, weird. There just is. going on. Like, Janice Rand, her role in all those early episodes seems to be to be sexually menaced by whoever the bad guy is in that episode. Because the episode, like, the episode, like, two episodes before that is Charlie X which is about a 17-year-old who's never been a human before and has psychic powers in his world on the ship. And the first yeah. woman he's ever seen is Janice Rand. So he just, like, fixates on her. He's, yeah. It's basically an incel um, allegory oh, no. in 1966. Yeah. But the base it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? That's exactly what he is, yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. Incel, yeah. Um, That's what I love about all those early episodes is that because, like, television acting is, like... It's, like, maybe 10, 15 years old, but all these... All the men, especially, are all these like actor studio Lee Strasberg people. So they're like super method, intense streetcar named desire men, acting in these as like <laughs> sexy aliens, yeah. alien men. It's all very enunciate and yeah, very dramatic. Intense. They could like they could just have Stella at any point. The guy playing Charlie X especially is yeah. like 
super intense, <laughs> uh, which I love. I love just, just throwing those guys who want to be playing in New York tough onto a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so that's the enemy within. What else we got? Um, well, I know we mentioned the Galileo 7, mm. um, which I also really love from season one. Um, the only reason I wanted to bring it up again is just because it is such um, a classic example of how racist they are all about Spock. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So, so Spock leads an away mission with Scotty and McCoy and they get trapped on a planet with some aliens who throw plastic spears, as discussed. Um, and then they all just spend the entire episode um, racially abusing the hell out of Spock while mm. they're trying to get rescued. Um, I mean, it's one of my favorites because it's so funny bad. Uh, and I have paused and rewound the bit where they're throwing plastic spears at Spock so many times. But it is actually quite shocking rewatching it because it, McCoy, especially, and I know McCoy is quite a, a fan favorite, but I find him so distasteful. He is so nasty to Spock. And I know some of it's supposed to be banter, but it's really intense. And he's just like, oh, you pointy, you freak with your green blood and all this. It is awful. Yeah, McCoy is definitely the banter boss. Like, yeah. he's just, yeah. he's the hashtag lad of the group. Oh, yeah, without Kirk in between them to mediate. Yeah. And it gives everybody else license to jump in on Spock. Yeah. Whereas it was just yeah. if Kirk was there as well, because they're all fucking back chatting their senior officer as well. Yeah. I was like, this is so disrespectful. Oh my god. Yeah. It's it not last extremely long. racist. It's it extremely disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. It also has the brilliant ending that about 70% of the episodes have where someone takes the piss out of Scott, he fails to see the humour, and then the whole bridge crew just start laughing. Oh, like every yeah. episode was in that way. It's so good. It's so fun. Because they're none of them can laugh properly. Especially no. when they're when That's they're so true. Oh my god. Like, Scotty yeah. is like rocking back and forth against the wall. <laughs> Kirk is just lurching from like pillar to post, doing this weird kind of gurn, I guess. Yeah. I don't think they're actually laughing. I think that's fading the music, none of them are actually making sounds. And then Spock just looks kind of over there. Yeah, he'll just do an eyebrow, won't he? He's like, fuck my life. Yeah, I feel so bad for Spock. I love Spock. I mean, I know I mentioned that Scotty has come to mean a lot to me, but Spock is just my... My whole heart and soul is in is in that boy. He just doesn't really know what's going on most of the time, and he's smarter than everybody. Nobody knows as much as him, and he saved their butts on lots of occasions, so he deserves a lot more respect, in my opinion. Yeah, he is amazing. And he nearly left, apparently, um, in season two because he wasn't getting paid much. Um, I read, well, I can't remember what it was. I think William Shatner was on like five grand an episode and he was on like one and a half and he wanted to at least be on three. Um, and they, they lined someone up to replace him and everything. like, And in the end, kind of agreed on two and a half or something like that. But he nearly left. But he was so popular with the fans, they'd have completely screwed themselves over. Because oh, it was think, so fun. Yeah. People who don't know Star Trek, they know Spock. Yeah, know? exactly. Like he's just become just iconic kind of character. And yeah, no, you can't have Star Trek without Spock. That would be ridiculous. No, exactly. Well, William Shatner famously got really annoyed that Spock was so famous and, uh, and was so popular with the fans. Um, so that's why they end up just doing everything together. Like they're quite a double act mm-hmm. um, it, for so many episodes because um, William kind of was like, I'll just align myself with him. It's the only way I can I can win this battle is to just be partnered with him all the time. Oh, it, like it makes no sense for him to send the two most important people on the ship down to every dangerous planet together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nonsense. Also, in the Galileo Seven, 
why is McCoy even there? They're going to study a, a pulsar. Why are they sending the, doc, the head doctor on the ship out on a shuttle? I don't uh, know. It's yeah. so perplexing. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's, they're very um, picky about what has been invented and what hasn't, depending on their need in the 23rd know, right? century. Like in The Enemy Within, uh, part of it is that of the, the perils that Sulu and three crew members are on this uh, planet that's getting very, very cold. And then in the Galileo 7, we discovered they have loads of shuttlecraft, hmm. which they didn't have <laughs> four episodes ago. They couldn't have sent down to pick them up. Oh, it's yeah. so handy. But but that was always my biggest problem with The Next Generation, actually, was quite too often, I think, they would just kind of have some magical godlike creature that just came out. Like, I hated Q because mm. it just felt like they could do anything and that was just that solved. Like, if it didn't matter what terrible thing had befallen them and how doomed they were, some god would kind of appear and go, yeah, I fixed it, it's fine. Or they would just and like, re- reverse the polarity or something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the next episode that I really wanted to talk about was um, The Devil in the Dark. I love this episode. Amazing. I think it might be my favourite episode ever because it's got all the camp and plasticky set pieces. It's actually such a wise message. It's really touching, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So the Enterprise is sent to this mining colony uh, where some monster is murdering miners. Uh, then they find out actually the true monster is humanity. Oh, uh, <laughs> This creature is actually lovely and benevolent while the miners have been murdering its babies, uh, which is great stuff. Um, Did you guys, do you remember watching this? Do you remember if you had figured out the twist, as it were, that they were the egg? immediately. As soon as they brought it, it's obviously an egg. Yeah. 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 I did. And I think figured it out. Make it look like it wasn't an egg, but they hold on to that twist for so long throughout the Anyway, yeah, it, I just think it's um, a really... So the devil in the dark is actually the human, really, right? Oh, um, yeah. Or look beyond the appearance. <laughs> yeah. And it's just this sort of glob thing. And, you know, when, when, when you've spent a good bit of the season going to other planets and it's scantily clad, beautiful women, or it's these, like, really you know, advanced societies. It's like, yeah, okay, it's easy for people, for the Enterprise crew to be like, oh, we should accept them as they are. But now they're just dealing with this blob thing who's pregnant and is being, (laughs) you know, attacked by all these miners. And they have to, I I was actually really touched by the end of it because initially Spock is like, you have to kill it, you have to kill it. We don't know what it is. And then Kirk is like, no, what if it's, I don't know. It's, It's not attacking me. It's not... It's not showing me any signs of it being, you know, angry with me or anything. Let's just see what it has to say. And then what it has to say is, please don't kill me. And I was like, oh, that's really touching. touching. And it's also, I think, the first time we see a Vulcan mind meld with Spock. Mm. Yeah. Which is a big deal. (laughs) It's some amazing acting from Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. When he's just shouting and being in pain. It's so unspotted. That broke my heart. I hated it. It's oh, a really good um, Bones episode as well, I think. Because Bones really is like, sometimes things aren't real. What are you talking about? Just fuck up. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, it's, it's very, I've always wondered, because I was always a big Star Trek Next Generation fan, realised I've never watched an episode of the original series until this week for this episode. Oh, I just, I've never meant to, I always meant to get around to it, never did. Um, but I used to read Star Trek magazine, which would have, obviously, cover all the series equally. So I knew lots of stuff by osmosis from just reading that. Yeah. But, so I'd always wonder where the I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer line came from. And I, that's <laughs> where it is. Because he has to fix up this silicone monster. 
And he does yeah. it. He goes, okay, because Kirk says you're a healer, first and foremost, and that's mm-hmm. a, a thing in vain. Which is, it's just so nice and human and empathetic. And and he doesn't, yeah. he, he gets some quick, quick drying. Some concrete. It's like space concrete, yes. Yeah. And he's like just colouring, like, big concrete hands and fixes up the, the mother of the people. And they give the miners a good telling off about yeah. looking yeah. before they leap. And they're all like, oh, well, we didn't know, which, to be fair, they didn't. Mm. And they, they I mean, just... it does look like eggs, so I'm really shocked they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's very it's true. Really a room of eggs. <laughs> but I, I went to that episode expecting it to be, like, reading the description, expecting it to be, like, a super shocky, campy thing. But it's, like, the most touching of the episodes we watched, mm. like, by far. It's, yeah. it's a really neat trick that they do Yeah, sometimes. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. And it probably didn't cost very much, that episode. No. It didn't seem like yeah, it was... Oh, yeah, the creature was made of some rubber mats. And yeah, they had that like around. Marker, yeah. Well, the creature was basically just a big rug and somebody crawling around underneath <laughs> yeah. it. But actually, I spent um, some of their budget because there's a proper set. Like They've got a sort of mining city thing going on. Mm. It felt like they'd actually got some money on that one. <laughs> it, it does a bit like if you ask like Neil Buchanan and Art Attack to build some caves, if that's what it would look there's like. There's a lot of PVA glue. With some PVA glue yeah. and some a lot of newspapers. That. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the next episode, that they obviously didn't have much money, but it's brilliant. They spent all their money basically on Joan Collins for the city on the edge of forever. Oh, yeah. Amazing episode. Uh, which is such an amazing episode. Um, so... McCoy, like the terrible, terrible daughter he is, injects himself with some kind of mad stimulant thing that makes him go uh, nuts and beam himself down to this planet where there happens to be a time-travelling portal thingy uh, and he leaps through and changes time so that the Enterprise doesn't even exist. So Kirk and Spock follow him to 1930s Earth where Kirk falls in love with Joan Collins but it turns out saving her was the change McCoy ruined history with. And it's actually genuinely tragic and moving. Oh yeah, Kirk has to die to save history. It's so devastating. Because you really get a sense of they really develop her very well in that short time. You mm-hmm. know, like she, she what the, her thing is that she starts the peace movement if she lives um, and delays oh, the US's entry to World War Two, and she like foresees space travel and like that she foresees that Kirk would be a good person because he's someone who's been to space, which is amazing. Yeah. A little bit of insight. Um, yeah. But it's just so, I mean, there is a, a, a dodgy, problematic part at the start where they're trying to explain Spock to a, to a, a cop. Oh, God. He's like, oh, he's, oh a, yeah. he's a Chinaman. Like, he's okay, obviously right. Chinese. And it's right. like, really? Oh, it's I mean, so It's really bad. It's so bad. But, um... Oh, no, yeah. oh I actually, even in... in acting is quite good in this one. I, I think maybe mm. he actually loved Joan Collins. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Who didn't? She looks unbelievable she in this episode. Yeah. She's so beautiful. And she's such an interesting character. Like, even when you first meet her, it's like, okay, it's Joan Collins. She's really beautiful. And then within five minutes, she just has all of this complexity. She's like, yeah, I'm running this place for people, but I'm not in the habit of, you know, handouts and stuff. I'm going to make sure you all pull yourself up by your bootstraps and... And that, like, that happens within her first, like, two scenes. She's just so yeah. commanding. Like, she just t- yeah. took over the whole episode. She's amazing. Yeah, and she's a strong, feisty woman. And and I, I like the fact that Kirk likes strong women mm. like, in the first season, anyway. Because there's only a few episodes where he does sort of crack on with women in this first season. And they're all pretty mouthy. Like, one of them is an ex-girlfriend who's a lawyer who has to prosecute him. And... and in fact, I would argue that Edith Keeler broke Jim Kirk. He's 
become such a fuckboy after this. Mm. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. Because you don't really think that it was having continuity necessarily in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. It's just things happen. But I think, yeah, if you actually like map it out, his life, that is kind of a big turning point for him, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think he never trusts himself to love again because he might have to kill the woman he loves again. <laughs> That is dark. Then yeah. he just becomes a fuckboy and is yeah. really gross forever. <laughs> that explains it. We've cracked it. We've cracked fuckboys. Yeah. We've sold Jim Jim Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> who, who is your favourite character, I'm wondering? Well, it is probably Spock. Mm. Um but I, I really do have such a soft spot for James C. Kirk. Um, in fact, my, my dog is called Ivy T. But she's Ivy Tiberius. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of his. And, I, I mean, he does become a, much more of an idiot later. But really, this first season, he's so... It's, I think it's difficult because sometimes we all sort of assume William Shatner is uh, Captain Kirk. Mm. And I think William Shatner is obviously... Um, always had much more of an ego than i genuinely think james c kirk was a really good man and um really believed in what he was doing was so passionate and all that so i think yeah i i i, I feel like a, it's obvious to say spock but yeah so i'm so i'm gonna go with captain kirk okay. <laughs> i found myself enjoying it a lot more than i thought actually, me too kirk because one thing coming from next generation back to original star trek and so the other way around you get a real yeah. sense that they're on the frontier in original star trek this is, everything is new. Every like once in next generation, it's very much settled down into like bureaucracy. Whereas yeah. Kirk is like this guy out on the front of everything. He really hates bureaucracy. We see it in uh, Galileo Seven with that commissioner who wants him to come fix a plague on this planet, and um, yeah. trouble with Tribbles as well with the commissioner who's trying to get to protect the green. He's like he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He was like I'll do it, but like I don't like you at all, and I'm going to be very open about the fact that you were just this person and I have a spaceship. So yeah. like, and it's he, he cares. He really cares about it. It's like it's really like an old kind of pirate ship captain relationship to a ship, you know. Definitely. Which I only know from playing Assassin's Creed games, right? Yeah. Like pirate ship. <laughs> but it's that kind of he. It's a really protective thing that he has with it, which I wasn't Definitely. expecting. It was I expected a much yeah. more gung ho kind of thing, but he's not. Everything he does is for the Enterprise. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's quite a few references to how she is his true. Um, wife almost like he mm. the, he's already got a woman and that is the enterprise kind of deal a lot um that's i think even spock says that to mccoy at one point like when he can't get over someone he's like it's, she's uh, the enterprise had his heart long before whoever um and she is she really he really cares about um his crew and that ship it's it's actually very touching <laughs> and i definitely think kirk would be the type of person who would name his spaceship or his car like would refer to it as a woman they call it she (laughs) that's just who he is as a person yeah definitely (laughs) so what other episodes oh the menagerie I think is a very important episode we should talk about because it's a we're a very strange one the what sorry the the menagerie or the cage oh yeah of course sorry yeah the pilot yeah it's so yeah that one needs some explaining I think so do you want to do it (laughs) <laughs> or, or will I? Because I do know I do know the story quite well. Sorry, I feel like I've I've monopolised. You do this one, Alan. <laughs> okay. So there was an original pilot of Star Trek, uh, and Spock was the only person that we know now that was actually in it. The captain was Captain Pike, who was played by an actor who I wish I hadn't started the sentence was played by because I can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> I think I know this. What is it? Um, was it Sean Kenny? Have I made that up? Or Jeffrey Hunter? Jeffrey Hunter is right. Yeah, that's it. Um, 
So in the pilot, they go to a planet where uh, everything is an illusion. There's this race people just destroy their planet by getting too involved and basically just get addicted to VR, essentially. Um, but like mind VR. And they try to like, kidnap uh, Captain Pike in order to restart our race on that planet. Not necessarily their race, but just to repopulate the planet. But they get out and that's, and then the, if you watch it, it's a very slow episode of television. It doesn't really work. A lot of the actors don't work it, but Spock is definitely something. So then they did a second pilot, which is where no one has gone before, which is the third episode of Star Trek that got released, um, which has Spock and Kirk. Still not Bones. And has Sulu, I think, as well. Um, and then eventually they got a proper series and they started making it. So they decided to basically reuse everything from the original pilot with Captain Pike by having him get involved in a terrible accident where he is confined to a space wheelchair that he can just beep yes or no. Mm. And that's all he can that do. space wheelchair is very confining, isn't it? They haven't really... The technology hasn't caught up with it. He's just got a yeah. button that flashes on and off. That's it. That's all he can do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I think they say in it that he can move forwards and backwards a little. So that's it. Says, and I was like, oh, okay. Did you just stop before you put it backwards? Yeah. Or, and, uh, what, like, you clearly... I mean, the actual wheelchair would have been more... like more. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't know why they went with this space wheelchair. There are new departments that Sevier's talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, Spock... Yeah. cost like half a million dollars to make and they didn't even like it. So they had to reuse some of the footage. Yeah. yeah. It, it's aged a lot worse than uh, the new episodes. Yeah. The, the, the real episodes have. But basically Spock sends out a fake distress signal from Captain Pike's planet and comes and kidnaps him and gets, gets himself get put on trial. Yeah. And then they, that's how they reuse all the footage from the pilot by showing he's showing that as his, as his offence and we're told that it's the illusion people on the planet showing it to yeah. us to explain why he wants to bring Pike back. And uh, basically to give Pike back his body is what we find out eventually. It's a little bit shoehorned, isn't it? It's a little bit shoehorned. Because they, re- they have to retrofit the actual ending of the original episode. Because we see a scene yeah. where the, the girl that's on the planet is has also, apparently she was like very badly injured in a crash that landed there and they tried to rebuild her without knowing what yeah. a human looked like. Yeah. Um. So she ends up uh, very scarred and kind of asymmetric, I guess. Yeah. Um, like a leg on her shoulder or something. She's quite lumpy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's 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 all very cheap Halloween makeup. But um, yeah. what's weird about that, really... especially, is that they did know what humans look like because they're pretty much human shaped. Those yeah. aliens. So that's a confusing thing to me. Like, oh, we didn't know how to rebuild her. Yeah, like they, they have legs and arms. And arms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. I've, like, cause they, they just look like bald humans with veiny heads. Yeah, they yeah. just got slightly bigger heads than us. That's the They're only fine. difference. They know where their arms are. They know where their legs yeah. are. <laughs> that's such a good point. <laughs> But it was interesting as well that they did that with the with the aliens, like because um, they were played by um, played by women, the aliens, but they were then voiceovered with men to make them really androgynous. Were they? Oh, yeah, isn't that interesting? That and I didn't know that. That didn't yeah. really plot that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and it became a bit of a cliche to have the um, the sort of big brain aliens afterwards, but that was the first time anybody had done that as well. That was mm. pretty imaginative. They had apparently in the script written them as like big crab creature things. <laughs> And then Gene Roddenberry was talked out of that because it was dumb. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah I, really like, the... I really like that episode. I think it's really interesting just to see um, 
see the kind of what they were trying to do initially because um, they obviously had uh, Captain Pike at the at the helm, <laughs> and then but then they also had a, a first officer who was a woman, mm-hmm. who is who is actually um, Majel Barrett, who is Nurse Chapel in the. She does come back, but she looks so different; it's really hard to recognize her. She um, was actually also married to Gene Roddenberry, so they were having an affair and stuff like that. That's why he'd cast her. But yeah. then the studio really hated her, and they said that she was a terrible actor, which is probably just more of a sexist thing than anything um, yeah, else. Yeah, because. Well, I, certainly when she was in Next Generation as Loxana Troy, she was amazing. So oh, she's amazing as Loxana. She's Lox- also the best computer for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So she's she's been in sort of every. I was sure she was in sort of every different um, iteration of Star Trek. I think until she died. Like mm. the, the, she's amazing, the first lady of Star Trek. Yeah, and they cut out. There's a bit in the original film that they cut from the the reused footage in the menagerie where. Captain Pike says to her, I know you're good, but I'm, you know, I'm still not comfortable with women on board. Yeah. Which is, all right, Captain Pike. Oh. <laughs> say that. All right, chill out, Captain Pike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she was supposed to be really cold and emotionless. And it's funny because Spock it, it has emotions. He's like seen giggling at one point. So they only came up with Spock as being emotionless for the, for the newer pilot, um, mm. which is weird to see him laughing. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the original Spock. He, he, he had a weird kind of half shout everything he was doing it was like he was like forcing the voice out from just the very back of his throat every time he mm-hmm. talked and it, it was very off-putting if you've come to it like from good Spock yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I, I found that episode very very confusing it wouldn't have awards yeah for like yeah which is I like it I do like it but I, I like a lot more episodes a lot more than yes. I think yeah it's definitely like not a bad Star Trek episode mm but it's it's a weird one, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely prefer William Shatner as the captain. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Although the studio apparently did want to keep um, the the only two characters they wanted to keep were um, Pike and um, and Spock. So I think Jeffrey Hunter had already like committed to do other things or something though, or mm. didn't want to do it. So it could have been a Captain Pike. <laughs> it would have been a completely different show. Bland. Yeah. 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 He's more conventionally yeah. handsome. He's more Hollywood handsome, whereas Kirk has is a like a weird. He's a strange like, looking face. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, very Marlon Brando. He's kind he? of weathered yeah. looking. Like he looks like he's been standing out in the rain for forty days. <laughs> and he just got in and he's like sheared a sheep for you and made a woolen jumper. Yeah. You know, just off the top of my head, this isn't something I've been thinking about it from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he's like in the same shot as Joe Collins, you're like, oh, he's actually quite old. Yes. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, and he's wearing a lot of makeup. Yeah. There's a lot of makeup on all of them, really. Actually, <laughs> some of the close-ups of um, of Spock, I'm like, oh yeah, you you've got like they just trailed it on. And I don't know whether it's because the the version on Netflix, I think, is like a retouched or a remastered. Yeah, they read all the effect shots and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe it it just sort of brings it more to light all of the kind of dinky set stuff and like makeup. Stuff oh yeah, like we're watching it on television, like. Three, yeah. four times the size while I was watching it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You don't want to watch it in HD. You're making a mistake. No, there. no. <laughs> Have I you like... watched the new ones with the, re- the remixed things? So like oh, all the stuff on, yeah, all, like all the stuff on the screen is all new now. Yeah, I have, um, but I am very. Um... I'm not a very good attention to detail person, okay. so I didn't notice any difference. Okay. <laughs> um, there's, there's comparisons of each episode on YouTube. I watched a couple of them last night because there was some stuff that was like egregiously. And it was like it was like in, it wasn't like 
it was almost like first drafts of CGI. Mm. Some of the stuff was like, you probably could have done it a bit better than that in 2009. Yeah. It seemed a bit like CD-ROM adventure kind oh, of really? graphics. Yeah, some of the stuff, <laughs> like the shuttle bay and stuff. If you watch the yeah. original, was, there was no need to do anything with it, but they just completely replaced it with CGI and stuff like that. It's just, I don't know, I it's weird. Mm. Uh, I don't want any CGI in my Star Trek. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. It's okay next generation because they were like on the verge of it and there's less yeah. of a difference, but like there's, like if you look at the original, um, the cloud in Galileo 7, the original cloud just like, seems to be just someone swirling something in a bit of water on the screen. <laughs> whereas, the, whereas the one on the new episode is like this full on Star Trek Discovery nebula with a star exploding and it's like, it's, it takes you out of it. Yeah, it's not a point. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like with, with Doctor Who, like when you watch the really old episodes of Doctor Who, you're like, I, I want all of it to be like this. I want all of it to be made yes. of cardboard. I don't want some of it to be that and <laughs> some of it to be like the most groundbreaking special effects in the world because yeah. it just, it, there's too much of a divide between the two Oh yeah, so, like, if, if, if in Star Trek Discovery they suddenly cut to a cardboard model of the ship yeah. going in front of like a, a black cloth, be like, what the fuck Star Trek Discovery? Yeah. But so does it pick one? It's an either pick one and stick with it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like there's there's def there was definitely a time when we were starting to get used to like there being special effects. Um actually I think uh, on the Hercules episode of Juvenilia you guys touched on this where it's like there's there's animation and then there's just one bit that's like really heavily CGI'd and yeah. it's weird it's just like pick one just stick with one consistent thing because like I said earlier like once once you get into the bad sets of it yeah. you're just you're there you're, you'll accept it you'll accept that there's somebody just throwing teddy bears at like <laughs> Kirk's head for a little while it's great yeah. it's quaint and cute I love it let's talk about Trombo Tribbles because yes. it is it's my new obsession it's <laughs> I would die for those little things. I love them. I, it's a genuinely like really funny episode of television. Yeah. It stands up as I, I was like just laughing, just completely as if I was watching a comedy. Mm -hmm. Watching it, it's a really funny episode. Uh, Andrea, you take you explain this one to us. Oh, oh, I, I don't know if I'll be able to explain it as well as I do. <laughs> well, I think I was just I was just bowled over by how funny it was. Um, I can't remember how they actually start, how, how they get onto well, the Well, they're show. trying to transport some important grain. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's grain. And then the boy type who turns up, <laughs> who tries to sell them this cute little pet called Tribbles. And they, uh, they breed like they're born pregnant and have 10 babies per litter yeah they breed every 12 hours uh because right on their home planet they're like very easy prey which is understandable so they have to breed that much but when they're just on a spaceship with all this wheat i love that everybody knows what the wheat is except captain kirk yeah. everybody's like oh quadriceptral cycle wheat yeah of course like what? <laughs> when did everybody learn about quadriceptral cycle wheat well he doesn't need to know he's the boss yeah, yeah exactly that's like yeah. That's that's a low level problem. Yeah, and the guy who like sells in the triple is just this huge like explosion of cheer of a man. He just he's so dodgy. Yeah. From the immediately dodgy. <laughs> like a used car salesman. Yeah. Like he has really like dodgy. he has a coat that just has so many sections for all his goods. <laughs> he just has pockets like on the back of his shoulders that he can pull things out of and he just has all these jewels and a uh, one single triple. And, and the Klingons turn up, and the Klingons in the original Star Trek. I think they get a bit better later on, possibly. But those Klingons no. are, just, are just men with bad beards. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're always blacked up. It's always really offensive when they're in the episode. Well, those were, these were, were blacked up. These were just white men with beards who were arrogant. Oh, is, have they not been blacked up yet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe that came later. That could be a season three thing, possibly, yeah. But yeah, these guys are just um, Shakespearean actors. Yeah. Who, basically, it's like you're either a metal actor or you're a Shakespearean actor. And all, this, all the metal actors are on the Enterprise. And all the Shakespearean actors are Klingons. <laughs> that's the main difference between them. <laughs> Um, so they get to a brawl because um, one of the things that starts insulting Captain Kirk and Chekhov is getting very angry about it and Scotty tells him, like, calms him down and then, but then he insults the Enterprise. And Scotty starts a bar brawl. And a really long <laughs> bar brawl. They spent a lot of time on that bar brawl. It's yeah, really they enjoyed having a fight. <laughs> yeah, some of the really into, like, one guy gets punched backwards over a table and lands upside down bad, in a chair. It? it is good. Yeah. It's really good stunt stuff, yeah. Um, but the, and the trimmers are like a secondary thing. It's it's hard to fit like focus on what the episode's actually about until near the end because the trimmers <laughs> are just every time you come back to a room that you were in like five minutes ago, there's more tribbles in it, and that's kind of the the background tribbles. It's so funny. There's one where Cap, there's a bit where Captain walks onto the bridge, and there's a lot of tribbles there, and he just just kind of does this little with his fist, a little like defeated fist pump, and and, and, <laughs> and nod, and like yeah, this is happening. Yeah, and, uh, it's so good. Every is. Every time a load of fun that episode, obviously, mm. especially yeah. um, it's really again you get to see in like the um, the canteen, I guess, um, all the crew like gathering around doing stuff, which you you don't get to see really in the next generation. They're all spread out, intent forward. Where here it's like a smaller ship, it's close quarters, everybody's in each other's business, um, which I really like. Uh, but my favorite bit, which I'm I'm, I know, I'm talking a lot here, and someone else should jump in in a second. But, oh, I love it. But, um, <laughs> When they finally discovered the tribbles of eating all the wheat, and they Captain Kirk unhooks oh, the locker yeah. and they, they all spit out on him, and then it cuts back after the break, and he has to stick his head up through them, and like pulling them out of his jumper, and then there's obviously this like, like secondary tribbles rolling down the chute towards him, but it's one hundred percent totally someone just throwing tribbles at his head from off screen. Yeah, so, the runner who is taking his revenge on William Shatner yeah. throughout that whole scene, just lobbing tribbles <laughs> at his head. It's so funny. And like, the whole scene yeah. takes place while Shatner is in the pile of tribbles. Yeah. Like before the yeah. action can continue, nobody thought, okay, let's get him out of here. <laughs> and then they're just like, no, let's make like really important decisions and discoveries yeah. about these yeah. creatures while you're just under a pile of them. It's amazing. And he's like, oh, some of these are dead. And he's like, yeah. Just the sound of the pilot head tribbles. Yeah. And everyone hits him in the head. He's like, yeah, no, that, that hurt one. That one hurts. Yeah. yeah when, when he was like, some of these are dead. And then McCoy takes out a little uh, medical machine and does like, beep, beep, beep. And then he's like, a lot of them are dead. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> Thanks for that input. Like, it's so, so funny. Oh my God. Yeah, but then that's they save the day, don't they? Because mm. um, the green has been poisoned. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And they, and they also, so they are the ones who kind of warn that the grain's poisoned, but they also can identify the Klingons. And they have to like hold them up they... to a Klingon, and then it like starts yeah. shaking and squeaking. <laughs> They end by like transporting all the tribbles onto the onto the Klingon ship, which is so cruel to them. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's the, that wasn't a good end for those tribbles. Yeah. Like they're clearly very aggravated by the Klingons. Maybe they're like allergic to them or yeah. something, or they're afraid yeah. of them. That's yeah, it's animal cruelty. Yeah, I don't think that was nice. 
Yeah. I know this is everyone's favourite episode, but it was always the one repeated a thousand times yeah. over and over on telly when I was young. So I'm kind of, ugh, about it. Yeah. But it is objectively brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from the animal cruelty. Yeah. Apart from that, yeah. It was my first time seeing it, so it was just... I think I was, yeah, everybody knows the How did you miss it, Alan? It's I on did... constantly, that episode. I don't know. I, not, I think maybe I watched I Got a Star Trek in the window... Like the maybe the wood window everywhere wasn't on TV, mm. so there was only Next Generation. I think people were really excited about Next Generation and DS Nine and Voyagers, and just were like, we don't need old Star Trek anymore. And then by the yeah. time I was done with them, I was done with Star Trek, so I just never got back around to it till now. Yeah. But I'm back into it now. I'm going to watch all those episodes because like when I was sticking through, like obviously you've given us specific episodes to watch. I was watching those. But I've seen all these names of ones I knew, and I was like, oh, I need to watch that one and that one and come back to that, like the Torian Web or the Mirror Universe episode, which I really want to yeah. see with the evil Spock beard and stuff. Yes. Oh, there's so many good evil twin version episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so excellent. Um, yeah, and the the only other season two episode I wanted to mention, um, and it's kind of stupid because it's nothing to do with Star Trek, really. So it's Assignment Earth. Did you watch this one? Uh, no, I didn't get to this one. I, the last three games, I decided to pick the one with the highest rating on IMDb, which wasn't this one. So, okay. <laughs> but it did look interesting. What was the highest rating then? Uh, is that the Trouble in Pebbles? No, the highest rating overall is The City on the Edge of Forever. Which makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah which, is, which is brilliant. It generally wins all the polls for Best Star Trek. And so. you can watch that without even really watching Star Trek. You yeah. Just kind of watch it exactly. And, and Assignment Earth is a, another very similar. Um, thing where they casually go back in time without really any explanation or acknowledgement that it might be tricky to go back in time mm-hmm. um, and then they intercept a chap called Gary who is transporting to Earth to do something that may save or destroy the Earth and they don't know which <laughs> so Kirk and Spock um, have to follow him down there it's exactly the same plot really as the, J- as the, as the um, city on the edge of forever but it's just completely a pitch for another show it's very oh. clearly weirdly a sneaky pilot for another show um because um, it completely focuses on gary and his sexy cat and this uh roberta who is actually terry gar the actress she's brilliant in it and they should have commissioned this series just for her but it is also so weird because most of the crew and most of the star trek actors are really not even in it like it is just these two, the, this new kind of setup, and this—it's really strange, but really good. It's <laughs> very odd. And yeah. at the end of season one of Star Trek, when it came out, did it hit big? Did season one hit, and everybody adopted it immediately, or did it take the three no. seasons? No, uh, to be honest, it wasn't very popular. It was actually like after it was finished that people started getting really into it. Okay. Um, it kind of it didn't do particularly well. I don't think. I mean, it did. I find from what I read, but it wasn't a big thing until later when mm-hmm. people started becoming obsessed and getting really into it. But it got once it got big, it got huge. It was like yeah. the biggest syndicated yeah, show for yeah. like twenty years. But so they, was it like the seventies? It got big then. Yeah, it would have been. Okay. Like they needed letter writing campaigns to get season two and season three. Right. So yeah. it was really. You know what's really weird from what I read about it that because um, we're talking about how funny and camp and stuff it is. Star Trek was considered like the, the literary sci-fi show compared to Lost in Space, which was the campy one. Oh. So I Lost in Space must be just a ridiculous I mean, <laughs> thing. Like, this is one of the campest things I've ever 
ever watched. Yes, yes. Mad. but it is very moral and it is very like let's push this particular message. So I think it was seen as quite cerebral and so. And that was actually apparently the studio's main problem with the pilot was that it was too thoughtful and too kind of yeah overthinky and kind of pushing that that moral message and stuff like that. Mm. But I like that. <laughs> yeah, there's no real action in the, in the pilot. There's one little bit, but that's it. It's all him in a in a cage essentially talking mm. about about how angry he is. I think yeah. we're, we're, we're like when this is what sixty sixty six sixty six. So we're yeah. like we're so early in science fiction. Like when you think of science fiction now, it would be strange to watch an episode of something and not have it have that really moral based story. Like yeah. so much of science, like I'm a big Stargate SG One fan, and through through watching Star Trek, I was like, oh, it owes everything it has <laughs> to this show because everything is wrapped up in some kind of moral message, or the the quandary or issue that they have throughout the episode is a moral one. Mm. And in the sixties, we're we're kind of we're so early in that for for them to kind of push for that, for them to say no, that we're we're actually telling stories bigger than you know, a, a spaceship or whatever yeah. it might be. It's, yeah, it's so early in the game and it's so, it's so kind of blatant in doing it. Yeah. It's really interesting. Well, the two episodes, the two final episodes that I was going to mention from season three are both really um, heavy on the moralising. So Day of the Dove and Let That Be Your Last Battlefield mm-hmm. are the two other episodes. And they're just so... So Day of the Dove, um, the Enterprise and a Klingon ship have both been lured to a planet where an alien thing gets on board and it feeds on hate, so winds everyone up and makes them all super racist against each other. Um, and they kind of eventually manage to beat this alien by, you know, choosing love over hate and choosing not to be um, really hateful about each other and it's i mean it's totally undermined by the fact that the klingons are doing blackface throughout this episode (laughs) good point it's it's so kind of it's i just really uh, am so blown away like especially in the context of it of the time in america i just think it's so wise (laughs) Mm. i also super enjoy Chekhov running around talking about Peter, who never existed, his oh. poor brother who was killed by Klingons, and that was just a, a false memory implanted in him because they were trying to, um, you know, instill hatred against each other. Oh. I, I like Chekhov a lot. Yeah. yeah I, I watched the, the new films when they came out, and I thought that he was the best thing in them. Uh, he was played by Anthony Elgin. And I was just yeah, like, oh, I really must go back and like see what the original Chekhov is like. And then I was very happy, happy with his portrayal. In the yeah, he's series. definitely, they're taking the piss out of Russian. So yeah. He's yeah. getting credit for everything for Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sure. But it's America in the 60s. It's yeah. Like, it makes sense. Do you know who's even he's like... He's very likable. He was supposed oh, to be the heartthrob. That's why they brought him in with the, with the monkey's hair and stuff like yeah. that. Mm. Which they had to put a wig on him because he was already losing his hair, apparently. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, my God. I think he was able to grow it out by this sort of later series, but apparently yeah. initially they had to put a wig on him. What I love about the season three episodes is that um, much like if you watch Mad Men the whole way through, their hair gets longer and yeah. starts to get later into the 60s. Their hair is all longer and more 60s, like hippie-ish yeah. as they get to season three. Captain Kirk's sideburns are just that little bit longer... Yeah, it's a little bit hippier. Yeah. Like American changes in style and aesthetics are gonna like transfer up yeah. to the Enterprise while they're very 
quite busy, you yeah. know, going off and exploring. <laughs> uh, oh, should we talk about this your last battlefield? Because it's one of the the aliens that people probably associate most with the original Star Trek. If you see, ever see a picture of them, they're kind of one of the most iconic looking ones. It's say. amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so the Enterprise picks up an alien fugitive and then also the guy chasing him. Um, and they're from this race um, of duochromes um, and one side of their face is black and one side is white and they hate each other. Uh, it's very racist about each other and sort of dismissive of the other, and which is confusing to the human or the monochromes because they look you know the same to everybody. Um, I mean, it's incredibly on the nose. One face, uh, one side white, one black. But um, yeah, and it turns out that um, the difference that we wouldn't have really necessarily noticed is that they're black and white on different sides. So that's why they hate each other. And it mm -hmm. seems so stupid, obviously, to anyone watching. And then you realise actually, this is stupid. Racism is stupid. Just <laughs> because of the Wait a second. Yes. Um, but it's, it's one of the darker, more bleak endings of this because mm, basically they, yeah. they spend the whole episode trying to convince each other, uh, convince these two that this is dumb and that they need to get over it and, and help each other and stuff. Um, as they take this, these people take over the ship and take them back to their home planet. Um, but they, they, where they realise once they get back to this planet that the entire population has destroyed each other, fighting over their dumb prejudices, and then even then they still can't get over their own <laughs> hatred of each other, and they beam themselves down and then just run around an empty planet trying to kill each other. Like it's really bleak. <laughs> mm, it's 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 not a happy ending, I would say. No, <laughs> yeah. they couldn't be saved. They'd rather die hating each other than yeah. survive and get over it. And also, the uh, the commissioner guy, the guy who's chasing him, is the Riddler from Sixties Batman as well. Which is all, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is awesome. It's yeah, it's it's a really sad episode. It's. Yeah. I would love to know, like, I don't want to live in the Sixties, but I'd love to know how that was received. If if it was picked, if it was picked up on property, I guess, because Sixty Nine, yeah. you're past the Civil Rights Act. You're past. Yeah, Martin it's still kind of raw. Yeah, yeah. Martin, or Malcolm X is dead by then as well. I mm. think. So mm. interesting, yeah. Because it's it's a real like wait a minute moment where yeah. it's like oh look at these dumb people fighting amongst themselves over something dumb and it's like hang on a minute look around <laughs> what, are, what are we I doing? really impressed with that when I was a kid like because I hadn't noticed that you know one side was a different mm. no they were yeah, different yeah. Sides sort of thing and it was one of the only twists twists um in Star Trek that actually was really effective I think anyway yeah. maybe I maybe that was dumb but it is real and it does sort of really hit home how stupid it is actually mm. <laughs> it's so wise the moralizing in that episode is just astonishing it's next level yeah <laughs> it's funny how much they get away with, you know, just casual and overt racism within the crew. But then once it, once you expand it out to their, yeah, yeah. Th they just become these like moral gods on, you know, like, oh, well, you, sh you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like, no, but the, the show itself is just imbued with this sexism and racism that it can't help but be victim to it was made in the yeah. 60s like no oh, yeah. nobody except white men were having a good time in the 60s you know <laughs> and but 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 even the fact that there are speaking characters with complex roles who aren't white men is mm. it's just something you know 
I think. It's definitely heading in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. It's, try, it's, it's trying. It's doing even, something it doesn't yeah. have to do. Even Gene Roddenberry, like, when he was like, when they introduced uh, Chekhov in season two, he was like, yeah, we should have had a Russian from season one. That was stupid. Mm. We, we messed up there. Yeah. I think that the ability for a, a, like a white powerful man in the 60s, so yeah, I fucked up and course correct on a thing like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't get that now. You don't, yeah. Like, I mean... Exactly. Unless it's like you know, I, I just think there's something so hopeful about the show that I mean, even in the sort of totally sexist, racist era they were in, they could somebody there could see the right path, mm-hmm. and that of course in the future we won't be like that because it's awful, and that we will all be equal, and there will be women on the on the bridge crew, and and all that kind of stuff. It, I just think it's incredibly um, hopeful and optimistic about the future. Mm-hmm. Like, um, sorry. Go on. It's it's just it's nice to watch it now and see that we're already way past that. Like we, we don't have to wait until the twenty third century to see women in yeah. the military, you know. <laughs> um something I found a story stuck with me is that Michelle Nichols wanted to quit the show after yeah. the first season. But Martin Luther King wrote to her to say, No, you need to be a black woman in this position of power on television. Oh, wow. It's really important for you to stay on the show. She was like, okay, Martin Luther King, I will see that. I mean, yeah. Telling me what to do with my work. Yeah. Yeah, she is amazing. I'm such an Ahura fan. I Mm. just think she's incredible. Yeah, and and, um, it seems a bit patronising to be like, wow, a black woman. But it really was amazing. Oh, she was, Quite a a few um, women, I mean, even people like Whoopi Goldberg said that she watched it and was like, wow, I've never seen a woman who looks like me doing having a career or who wasn't um you know a maid or, or something like that and to see that must have just inspired so many people and uh yeah i just think it's incredible mm. so lucy fine you are <laughs> yes. a writer now were you and but you don't write sci-fi were you ever tempted to like do sci-fi stuff oh, i would love to yeah <laughs> um I, I definitely would love to, and I keep trying to make my publishers let me write a zombie book, but they don't seem <laughs> yeah. keen on that idea. But yeah, at some point, you know, um, once I'm super big time and I'm allowed to do whatever I like, I'll totally write some sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Lucy Vine. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Tell us about your books and where we can find you and stuff. Um, so my, my most recent book came out a couple of months ago. It's called Are We Nearly There Yet? Um, and you can find it in bookshops or Amazon or wherever you would usually find books. Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, which is at LECV, the initials, which is a stupid username. I apologize. <laughs> um, and other than that, uh, I think that's it. <laughs> There we go. Andrea, where can we find you? Thanks so much. Oh, I'm on Twitter, um, at Andrea Cleary. Um, I think I'm, oh, Andrea Cleary underscore. I'm the same on Instagram, and I host a podcast with 909 um, about music, and that comes out every Thursday, and you can find that on your podcast thing. Whatever you're listening to this on, you'll find us. Yeah. Yeah. I am Alan underscore. Alan underscore where everywhere and Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter and Juvenalia pod on Instagram. Uh, thank you to Dean McDonald for our artwork. Thank you to Cassie and Tall Tales for being our home. And we have a Patreon as well, and it's Juvenalia Patreon. Um, so again, thank you, Lucy Vine. Thank you. Thank very you. much. It's been a delight. Bye, everybody.